Before I even get into the message, isn't it a joy? I was just thinking this morning, what a joy it is to come together as a local body to just worship the Lord in spirit and truth. We go through a busy week, all kinds of things, all kinds of activities, decisions, ups, downs, positive, negative things that happen. And then we all come together from different areas of life, from different works and so forth, and are able to come together and just worship the one true living God. What a joy it is. It's excitement to my heart. As we come here to John chapter 15, and we've been here for a while, we have entitled this morning's message, The Process of Bearing Fruit, because that is where we are in our study. In John chapter 15, we have come to the continuation of the I Am statements, and we're in the last one, where the Lord Jesus Christ identifies for us who he is. People want to know who Jesus Christ is. Good teacher, moral man, God, who is he? Son of God, uh, where's the explanation? Well, he explains to us in the word of God. And we come to this last of the I am statements, I am. And he says, I am the true vine in verse 1. And that's what we're dealing with. And he also goes on down in verse 5, though I didn't read it in this passage, to tell us that I am the vine. And this is where it commonly is entitled for this passage. I am the vine and ye are the branches. And uh, so oftentimes this whole passage is thought of as the vine and the branches because of that. And as I have repeated myself a number of times and repeat again today, I believe this is one of the key passages to the Christian walk. And that's why we're spending so much time on it. It is vital that we understand what this passage is saying in order to be able to function even how God expects us to function as believers in Christ. Now we have seen a couple of things that we need to be reminded of. The components are very easy to see. It's given to us right away. The components are the true vine is Jesus Christ. He is the true vine. There are others who come in the name of God or in the name of Christ and so forth. But Jesus Christ is the true vine, he says. His father is the vine dressers, the vine dresser. And we noticed also that the branches that's referred to, and we've been spending our time on that, we said is professing believers. Professing believers. We have noted also in our study thus far in chapter 15 that there are two types of branches and there are only two types. There is not ten types of branches. There are two types of branches according to this passage. They are non-fruit-bearing branches and fruit-bearing branches. That's all that's spoken about in John chapter 15. And as we've told you in our study, it goes way beyond just these few verses I'm reading. It continues on in chapter 15. But there are only fruit-bearing branches and non-fruit-bearing branches. The last time we were in chapter 15, we spend our time on the objectives of the branches. And that's where we're going to end up picking it up at the end of that message there. But what were the objectives that we saw? It is to bear fruit. There are two objectives. One is to bear fruit, to bear more fruit, and to bear much fruit. It's clearly brought out in verses 1 through 8. And you'll notice again, I will drill it into you, that in this passage there are two key words. One is abide, and the other is fruit. And it repeats itself over and over again in the passage that is before us. <clears throat> and so the objective is to bear fruit. And you notice in verse 2 that I read at the end of the verse, more fruit. And if you jump down uh, a little bit further, you will see that it's also to bear much fruit at the end of verse 5. 
And so that's one of the objectives. The other objective is obviously to bring glory to God. Verse 8, my father is glorified in this, that ye bear much fruit. And so the objective is to bear fruit and to bring glory to God in our lives. And now the question came up, and we spent time on that. Let me just remind you, what is the fruit that we're talking about here? Because we're not talking about grapes. We're not talking about uh, just regular fruit. He's using this as a metaphor to teach us. And we've seen clearly that the Scriptures talk about various types of fruit. It talks about new converts. It talks about others coming to Christ. That is a fruit. It talks of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. That is a fruit that's spoken of. It does talk about in the believer's life that we are called unto good works. And good works in the believer's life is another type of fruit. And then lastly, we saw that the Scriptures talk about a voice of praise and thanksgiving to God that is only possible by the work of God, but that is also a fruit that is expected to be in the branches. So what is expected for fruit is expected that new converts will result as we proclaim the gospel, that fruit of the Spirit will be coming through our lives, that our lives will produce works for the glory of God, and that our voice, rather than complaining and bickering and using our tongue wrongly, will be used in a way that will bring thanksgiving and glory to God. All of that to say that there are all different types of fruit, all which is good fruit. Now get that for clarification. It's not going to be good fruit and bad fruit. A tree can't produce that. It is all good fruit that we're talking about here. But it comes out in the Christian's life in a practical way as far as all the types, meaning new converts or the fruit of the Spirit in our own life, uh, voice of thanksgiving and so forth. All of that, though, is focused on spiritual fruit. That's what we're talking about. Good fruit is spiritual fruit. Now, where we left off last time was how does this happen? Okay, we ought to produce fruits. Those are some of the fruits that come out. How does it happen? What's the process? And all we did last time with you was end by identifying the processes which is in your outline this morning. And that is to state it, it is done in two ways. It is done by one, abiding, and it is done secondly by pruning or purging or cleansing, as we will see when we get that far. So what we are doing in chapter 15 now is examining that process rather than just stating it. We're examining the process, and the process is found in verses 2 through 7, the concept of abiding and pruning. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> pardon me. I will deal with abiding first. Number one, it's important to the context. It's not mentioned first. Pruning is. You'll notice that pruning comes up right away in verse 2. And then at the beginning and the end of the verse. But I'll deal with that secondly because it's important that we understand the concept of abiding. And it's mentioned more than pruning is anyway. So I want to deal with it. So allow me now. I will read verses 4 through 6 as we deal with this concept of abiding in Christ. Verses 4 through 6. Watch it's repeating itself. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who 
abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Here you see over and over again the importance of abiding. This is one of the two processes by which fruit is born. More fruit and much fruit. But what in the world does it mean? And how does it work itself out? First of all, <coughs> the word abide that you know by now, as I said it to you before in past messages, means to dwell. It means to remain. It means to continue. That is the concept behind this Greek word that's used for abide. It is used both, as you have seen, of initial salvation. Now, it's important that you get this. Initial salvation as far as our position in Christ. But it is also used in this passage and throughout Scripture in relationship to the continued sanctification of the believer. That is our life, our Christian life, how we are to live, how we are to function. And that is our condition. Our position is a believer. Our condition is the way we are walking today, what we are doing tomorrow, what we are doing through the week. The position doesn't change. In case this concept is new to you, it's just like you as an individual person. You belong to your father and mother. I don't care how many marriages your parents have had or whatever. You are the fruit of your father and mother, and that will always be the case as long as you're alive. That won't be changed by whatever you do in life. Our position with Christ will never change. However, our condition might be good or it might be bad, right? And so when we're talking about abiding, it's dealing with both, both aspects. The key to the whole passage, and I'll give it to you right away, is this. Unless one, first of all, is attached, is dwelling with, is remaining with, is abiding with Christ by faith, you cannot be saved. You cannot have life. Nor can you bear fruit. If you're not abiding with Christ, if you're not dwelling with Him, you're not remaining with Him, you're not attached to Him, if you will, you will not be saved, nor will you bear fruit. Notice verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Now watch this. Explanation. Four. Apart from me, what does it say? You can do what? Nothing. Apart from Jesus Christ, you can do nothing. <clears throat> that word apart you've already seen. It means to be beside it means to be separated from. It means to be literally at space from. It is not attached. If you are not attached to Jesus Christ, you can do nothing. You can't be saved, and you can't bear fruit. Well, that's fine. But how does this concept, then, of abiding really work in the Christian life, Pastor Dan? How does it work? Well, 
How does it work itself out? Our tendency is to look at this and say, we go to one extreme or the other. What do you mean by that? Well, let me give you some even practical things that happened in my own life when I first of all came to Jesus Christ, and we'll, then we'll work it out in the verses. The first tendency is that if you have made a profession of faith in Christ, is to become the busy beaver. What does that mean? You've got to be everywhere. You've got to do everything. You've got to be at every service. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. You've got to dress a certain way. You've got to eat a certain thing. You've got to do a certain thing. Uh, you're not really a faithful Christian. That's known as basically works, legalism. That's one extreme. The other extreme that we then, and by the way, in my life, that's what happened. I got saved. First of all, I took the Bible and tried to jam it down everybody in my family's throat. You have to be, I was concerned. I wanted them saved, but my approach was not too good. And then I started to go to every single service, every single thing. I started to try to please man. And basically, I found myself ignoring my own family, ignoring people that I had contact with, thinking that that's the way the Christian life goes. Then you get the other extreme. What's the other extreme? After a while, you get burned out. Then what happens is you give up on everything. Then you want nothing to do with organized church. You want to live your independent life. You don't want to go to anything. You don't want anybody to tell you what to do. There isn't any standards at all, and it's what I want to do and tough with everybody else. And a local assembly doesn't mean anything. That's the other extreme. That's not what Christ is calling us to at all. But it's a tendency that we have. And we think that abiding as Christ is doing everything I want on my own, or abiding in Christ is simply that I just rest in him and that I just wait for the rapture. Everything else, leave me alone, I'm fine. Is that really what this passage teaches? I don't think so. Let me tell you this. There is a passiveness to abiding, but there is also an active part to abiding, as you will see. And as I said, the tendency in our life is to just go to the opposite of those things with extremes. Why? Number one, we want to please men. Bottom line. In our life, that's what a child does with a parent, right? The child wants to please the parent. Student wants to please their teacher. An employee wants to please the employer. A president of a company wants to please the board. We all want to impress the world. And then you get the other situation where not only are you trying to please men, but then we're trying to make everybody else perfect. They've got to be like we are. So parents try to make their children what the parents want them to be or who they couldn't be, uh, what they wanted to be, and so they want their p children to be that way. Or leaders, such as myself, try to make the flock conform to them because they want to do it. It's only one way to do everything, so you've got to do it this way or this way, or, and if you don't do it that way, well, then it's not, you're, walking, you're not walking with God. And all that is is man pleases. All that is is making people what you want them to be. That's not the concept of abiding at all. And then there's the other one, and that is to go by reactions. What is that? That's from one extreme to the other, like we always do. And that is you react to everything that comes along. If this thing comes along, everybody wants to be on board. Then when that fad goes out of the way, everybody joins the next fad. And that's the type of thing, and we think that's abiding in Christ. We go to legalism, which is there is total restraint on everything. 
Well, we go to no restraint. And anybody can do anything they want, when they want, how they want, and there's no concern for the body of Christ. And the result is, we fail to see that, number one, it's God's church. He's building it. It's God that gifted believers. It's God that's made every one of us different. It's God that's bearing the fruit, really, producing the fruit, I should say. It's God that it's at work at each individual. It's God's design that you are part of a body, you're not independent. It is God's design that there's a local church, and the local church does matter. And we forget to lose it God's perspective, and everybody's trying to please themselves or please man. And Jesus Christ, remember, it fits into what Pastor Chris was talking about this morning. As we get near Gethsemane, don't forget where we are in our study of the book. Jesus Christ is working toward that. And he's leaving his disciples, and he wants them to understand the practical way to live the Christian life. Because he'll be gone. And he's teaching them if they're not abiding in him, you will produce nothing in your life. Nothing. And we need to understand the concept. And as I said, there's a passive and an active part to it. And I believe those that are just teaching the passive part are not understanding the concept of the all of Scripture. And those that are teaching just the active part of it are not teaching it as well. He teaches both, that there's a balance in the Christian life. Let me give you an example. Salvation. There's a passive side to it. What do you mean? The Scriptures clearly tell us in Ephesians chapter 2, for example, that people are dead. They don't even know it. When I studied that with my Bible study, I called them walking dead men. That's how I was. I was living in a world, I was in the accounting field, I was basically going, doing what I was doing, enjoying my life, but I was dead. I was alive physically. No relationship with God. I saw religions in the world, didn't have any concept of really who God was, hoped someday I might understand who he was, hoping that my good works would be enough, which they never can be. That's a dead person that's alive physically. No life with God. And a dead person can't save themselves. I've done many a funeral. I've never done a funeral where I walked over to a corpse and touched the corpse and it started to talk to me. I never had a corpse interrupt my message at a funeral service. Why? They're dead. And dead people, there's the passive part of salvation. We could do nothing without Christ. God does it all. He must draw us. He must make us alive. He must open salvation to us. And he must do it. He also must even give us the faith. However, there is an active part to salvation. And for those of you that just screamed right now inside, you have to believe that that's what the Scriptures teach, folks. Because while God is the one that gives us the faith, I have to believe. The Scriptures say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. There's an active sense in which that has to happen. God doesn't just save somebody, force salvation into them, and they say, okay, I guess you forced it in, but I'm not going to believe. That doesn't happen. You will respond, yes. But there's that active side. There must be repentance. There must be faith. We are not able to save ourselves, but there is a participation that goes on. Why bring that up? Because it's the same thing with fruit. It's the same thing that this passage is teaching. The passive side of it is this, since we're talking about fruit in the context. Who produces the fruit? Listen, I want to be clear. We do not produce the fruit. And that's where the works comes in. We try to do things. It's an effort. It's, I gotta do, that's what the passage teaches. It just says abide in him. That's the passive part. 
If I'm abiding in Christ, He produces the fruit. No Christian produces love, joy, uh, long-suffering, etc. We don't do that. No Christian produces the salvation of somebody else. That's why I get furious when I hear preachers stand in a pulpit and talk about all the decisions they made or got made. Listen, I, I know that's well-intended, but we don't save anybody. God's the only one that saves anybody. All we do is put down the seed, water the word, Christ gives the increase. Period. He's the one that produces salvation. He's the one that produces the fruit. The vine has everything that we need. Who's the vine? Jesus Christ. He's got all the nourishment. He's got all that we need to have a fruitful life of Christ. But if I'm not attached, and that means a passiveness, just that I'm attached because he's brought me into salvation, but I'm attached to him, what happens? He will produce the fruits. Our responsibility is not to produce fruit, and too many Christians are trying to do that in their own effort. We're not saved by good works. We're saved by grace. We sung about it. Nor do we walk by the power of the flesh and do good works on our own. We don't produce that at all. The fruit is told, I mean, the, the, sorry, the branches are told to abide. That is rest in Christ. Stay attached to Christ. He will produce the fruit. That's why when we get to the pruning, though you already know I believe my position, and I will deal with it in depth, Lord willing, next week, when it comes to the pruning, the ones that are cut off are not true believers. It's people that are making professions of faith, but they're not really attached the right way to Christ. He will produce. We cannot produce salvation in others. God's got to do it. We cannot produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. By abiding in Christ, He will produce it. We will not pursue the things of God for good works. He will do that through us. And listen, isn't it the normal, the natural flow for a fruit tree to bear fruit? Of course it is. You don't put a fruit tree in the ground and then hope that it doesn't produce fruit. Or then when the fruit comes out, you don't turn around and say, well, that's a marvelous thing. I didn't expect that to happen. Amazing. Fruit came out of it. Yeah, natural process. If someone is a believer in Christ, natural process. Why? I don't produce it. He does. I simply abide. That's the passive part. We are to stay attached to Jesus Christ. Listen. We are to stay close to God. We are invited and encouraged and commanded in the Scripture to wait on the Lord. That's abiding. That's not doing. That's waiting on the Lord. That's staying attached. We are told, listen, basically, my English, yes, not to jump ship. Many Christians do that. In other words, you're going to see that the evidence of you being a Christian is that you stay abiding. You stay attached. No matter what the ship brings. You don't have a storm like we just had, even with all that weight. And I had this happen in my yard. I don't know if you did. It wasn't a fruit tree. But branches break off. You know what I did with those branches? I threw them in the back. They're not going to bear anything anymore. 
But it's interesting because a lot of the branches, though the storm came, the wind came, the heavy rain came, the heavy snow came, they're still abiding. They will, in a few weeks, be bearing what they're supposed to be bearing because they stayed attached. And so the passiveness, in a sense, is that he does the work, so we have to stay attached. But is that the end of it? Is there no active part? And I've heard preachers preach on this. Just simply abide in Christ. You stay in him. That's all there is. Just wait for the rapture. Really? What Bible are you looking at? That's not what it means to abide. When he's talking about abiding, it says to dwell, to stay close to. Well, how does it work? There's an active part to it. What is the active part? Listen. We are not to just wait and do nothing. We are to stay attached, and we have to do something. What do you mean? Let me just give you an illustration of a branch, poor as it may be. Doesn't the branch still have to absorb the sun? Mm -hmm. You say, well, it's got to get into the roots too, yes? Doesn't it have to be strengthened in its grip? Yeah. How about people? Well, you know the process of people coming into the world, don't you? We bring babies into the world, right? Isn't it natural for them to grow and to do that? Yeah, well, we just stick them in a corner, right, and just watch them grow. Really? I don't know about you. I only brought up five children in my home. Got eight grandchildren, but I've watched. I haven't seen any of them grow that way. Yes, there's a sense of abiding, but what do they do? They still eat. They still drink. They still exercise. They still study and go to school, though they don't like it. They still observe things in this world. They still make decisions. And while they're doing this, their body is growing, and their body's producing what it's supposed to produce. Everything's flowing through them. But they still have to take things in. They still have to do things. I'm trying to illustrate it. Why? Because so, too, with the Christian. Our abiding in Christ is waiting on him. It is resting on him. But listen, does not the Scriptures give us the active part of that abiding and remaining next to Christ? What do you mean, Pastor Dan? Let me give you an example. We must walk. We've got to walk in this world. Turn with me quick. Go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Stay with me. This abiding is I'm resting in Christ, yes, but I have a daily walk. Watch, Colossians chapter 1. And I'll try to make it practical before we close today. In Colossians chapter 1, look at verse 9. Watch. For this reason also, since the day we heard it, we do not cease to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Great. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. How does that happen? You just stay in a room? Watch. So that you will walk worthy. You will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. To please him in all respects, watch this, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the obtaining of all the steadfastness and patience joyously. Did you catch that? We have to stay abiding in Christ, yes, resting in him, but he says to you, I want you to walk in a, worther, uh, in a manner that's worthy of the Lord, bearing fruit. You've got to have a Christian walk. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 says, 
that we ought to walk worthy of the vocation to which we've been called. There's still an active part for us. Go with me to Romans chapter 6, our responsive reading this morning. Romans chapter 6. You've got to see the connection. Or else you're going to do one of two things. Just what I said earlier. You're going to go to one extreme or the other. You're going to try everything on your own and just get busy going to all the services, trying to do everything you can, getting busy as a Christian, doing everything by the power of the flesh. Or you're going to go to the other extreme and say, I'm just to abide, I stay at home, I do what I want, i got my schedule. Never see yourself as a slave of Christ with a responsibility to exercise your gifts, with a responsibility to the local church that he designed, and all the way down the line. You're going to go to one extreme or the other. Because we all do it. In Romans chapter 6, you know what it says there about we don't continue in sin because we're dead with Christ, do we? No. Let me give it to you quick, beginning in verse 4. Therefore... We have been buried with him. That's salvation. That's abiding with Christ through baptism into death. Now watch. For if you have become united with him, verse 5, in the likeness of his death, certainly we also are in the likeness of his resurrection. And then he says this. Knowing this, our old self was crucified. It's been done away with. We're freed from that. Jump ahead. Go to verse 9. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, Death has no dominion over him. And what does he say? But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, verse 11, consider yourselves to be dead. That's an active part, to sin. But alive to God in Christ Jesus. You see, you can say I'm abiding in Christ, and if you're not concentrating on your walk actively and considering yourself dead unto sin, I guarantee... When you walk out of these doors this morning, you'll be sinning within minutes because you're just sitting back saying, well, God's going to do it all. Right. No, abiding in Christ is waiting on him, but it's also walking. It's also considering. Look at the context. He says, verse 12, therefore, conclusion, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Who is that told to? Professing believers so that you will obey it in its lust. Do not go on presenting the members of your body as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. That's active. See? It's an active part. I can't just say I belong to Christ, I passively am going to abide in Him, and then I go or any, any place I want to go. I watch anything I want to watch. I say anything I'm going to say, and sin is not going to produce itself in my life. Who are you kidding? Abiding in Christ. See, we didn't get that far yet, but his word has got to abide in us as well. Am I not responsible? I won't turn there. Ephesians chapter 6. To put on the whole armor of God? Yes, I am. Does that mean I'm not abiding in Christ? Of course it means you're abiding in Christ. That's why you're putting on the armor. Because you are attached but there's still an active part to my walk every day. And I have to put on the armor of God myself. So that's part of abiding. And that's what he was telling his disciples. Put it in its context. If you don't stay attached to me, you will produce nothing in your life. You can't do it in your own power. But it doesn't mean you just say, I belong to Christ, and then I'm going to sit. In fact, the disciples had that think thinking, didn't they? I'm going back to fishing. That's not what they were called to do. 
I'm just going to go back. Christ has been crucified. Hopefully he'll come back someday. I don't think so. You're going to be actively involved. That's the whole book of Acts, by the way. Aren't we told, turn with me to 1 Peter very quickly, 1 Peter chapter 5. Try to wrap this section up for a second. Hopefully clarify some things for you. But I want you to see 1 Peter chapter 5 for a minute. Beginning in verse 6. Watch. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. He will exalt you in proper time, casting all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. You see, there's the abiding. I'm casting my cares on him. But watch. Be sober in spirit. Be on alert. There's still responsibility here. Your adversity, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. If you think you're just going to abide in Christ and go your merry way and you're not alert, Satan will devour you is what it's saying. Watch the activeness, verse 9. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren that are in the world. After you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, conform, strengthen, and establish you. You know, go back to John chapter 15 for a second here. In John chapter 15, we are to abide. Jump down to verse 7 for a second. It says, if you abide in me, watch, in my words abide in you, active, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. So many people have abused this verse. I want a Cadillac or a BMW or whatever it is. I asked God. He said, he'll give me whatever I will. How many preachers have you heard You know what? You're having problems in your life. Just yield to God and claim the promises. He'll give you everything. Really? I need to abide in him. I need to rest in him. I need to wait upon him. And what that also means is I need to have his word abiding in me. And as I do, then I ask actively. We are told in Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, I know you're familiar with it. Let the word of Christ dwell how? richly in you. Why? You'll see that next time when I get to the purging. Because I need the Word of God so I know what God's Word is. You see, there's an active part. I need to be reading the Word of God. I need to be involved in the things of Christ, exercising my gift. I don't sit back. Abiding in Christ doesn't mean I don't do those things. The abiding is I dwell, I continue, I remain in Christ. It isn't my power. You say, Pastor Dan, you're confusing me a little bit by saying it's both active and both passive. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. You'll be familiar with it, I think. Let's just look at verse 12, beginning in verse 12. So then, my brethren, watch. Just as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, and here's the key, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. Or work out your salvation. How? With fear and trembling. Why? Verse 13. For it is God who is at work in you by abiding in him. God is at work in me. 
but I am still to work it out. Notice this, verse 13. In you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is because I belong to Christ. It is because I'm abiding in him that I can work it out. It's not that I go under the power of the flesh on my own, separated from Christ. It's because I'm a part of Christ. Because it's real. Because I am attached, if you will. Because I'm abiding that God is already working in me and I will produce. How does it look? Look at verse 14. Here's what it looks like. Do all things without grumbling and disputing. Boy, I could give a message on that one. By the way, to myself, I wish I didn't complain. You ever do that? You know, you sit down, you ask the Lord to bless the food, and then you say, we got this again? (laughs) Talk about getting it all mixed up. You know? We have to have the same thing again. We got to go to the same routine. I got to go to work again today. I got to go to school again today. You see, that's practical. Verse 15. So that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of the crooked and perverse generation. So that you would appear as lights in the world. Watch verse 16. Holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ you will be reason for glory because I did not run in vain or toil in vain. Then he says, watch, you think Paul was active? Paul says in the next verse what? But even if I am, I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice of service for your faith, I rejoice. I rejoice. He was active. It was a very active thing. So how does it work? It's because I'm attached to Christ. And God wants to work in me that it comes down this way, and I'll wrap it up this morning on the concept of abiding. Abiding is resting in Christ. It's first of all trusting in Christ. If you haven't come to Jesus Christ for salvation, listen, there is salvation in no other, the Christian, the the scriptures say. For God so loved the world that he gave. That's a free gift. His only begotten son. There are so many that are trying so many different religions. I did that. Thought by going to church. I remember during this time of the year, I used to try to go to church every day as we got closer to Good Friday. That's human effort. And you never know whether you've got enough good works. We all know we're sinners. God says we're sinners and come short of the glory of God. The work of Jesus Christ paid for it all. And abiding in Christ is first of all coming to him by faith. And then as we do come to him by faith, it's resting in him. It's waiting on God. It's staying close to him. When I read the word and I don't understand it, it's those verses you know, you know out of Proverbs, where it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Why? Because you actively go to the word of God. You don't understand how if you do this, how do you come overcome evil with good? That's what the scriptures tell you to do. How do you do that? It's in a practical way, so when your neighbor's not treating you right, rather than retaliate, you leave that to the Lord and you trust in him. You don't lean on your own understanding. I'll give him a flat tire. No, you don't do that. You turn around and say, I pray for my enemies. Because God says that's what I'm to do. That's my active part. That's abiding in Christ. That's waiting on him. What abiding in Christ means that I make decisions every day. I am to make decisions that are consistent with the character of God. I am to make decisions that are consistent with the word of God. 
I am to make decisions that are involved in my calling by God. That's abiding in Christ. Abiding in Christ is waiting on Him and trusting in what He says. It's letting God control my thoughts. It's letting God control my actions because it's God in me that wants to work. It's not the flesh. You can go to every service. You can dress the right way. You can read your Bible every day and be doing all of that to please men. And if you are, you're not producing anything. At the same time, you can say you've come to Christ and go hide in a room and wait for him to come back and I don't care what anybody says. I don't want anything to do with the local assembly. I don't want anything to do with this. And you're going to lose out the same way. Abiding in Christ means I'm attached. I don't leave him. Whatever he says. When he tells me to love my wife, I am to love my wife as Christ loved the church. When he tells me that I am to submit myself, the one to the other, I am to submit myself to you. That's active. That's abiding in Christ. That's letting his juices, if you will, please excuse that expression, but the juices of the vine come through my life because I'm a new creation in Christ. It's letting his thoughts permeate through my life so I change what I do, not in my own power, but it's Christ in me. How many have quoted Galatians chapter 2, verse 20? The life that I now live, I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. See? To do what? Both to will and to do of His good pleasure. It's the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through me. But I cannot do that unless I let Him control my life. It's the concept of yielding. Not like we yield when we're driving a car. We drive a car that when I see a yield sign, they better yield to me. It's supposed to work the other way. Yield as I let them go. Yield as I let God have his way in my life. That's the active part of abiding. It's not necessarily doing. Let me put it to you this way as I close. It's not necessarily doing when I talk about abiding, but neither is it sleeping. It's not our power it's God's power working through us. And God's power won't work through the believer if the believer is not a fit vessel. That's why I have such verses, as thy word have I hidden my heart, that I might not sin against thee. That's why we have Romans chapter 6. I don't let grace, because it's so great, Get into my thinking so that I now sin to think I'm glorifying God. That's foolishness. That's not abiding. I close with this verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. Abiding in Christ is what produces fruit. It's staying attached. It's not jumping ship. It's letting God have his way in my life. It's letting the word of Christ dwell in me richly. It's yielding to the Spirit of God. It's putting on the armor. That is abiding, and there is an active part to it. Why all of that? One verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. Here it is. But we have this treasure, you know it, in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness, watch this, of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. You can't live the Christian life in your own power. 
You can do it, but it won't be fruitful. And that will be wood, hay, and stubble when you stand before God. When you have ignored everything that His Word's been telling you to do as a member of the body of Christ. You know, I was at one of the studies this week, and I made this comment. It's hard to hold the pastor back when he, you know, he has teaching going on. But I, I made this comment. I said, and here's something for you to think about as we leave today. If you truly are abiding in Christ and that you've trusted in Christ for salvation, look around in the room. As you see other professing believers, assuming their profession is true, do you see your own body? As I look at you, do I see my body? How often do we look at believers that way? Let me tell you something. Anyone that professes faith in Christ and is truly saved, you will be with them for all eternity. And they are part of the body of Christ. And they are part that you're attached to as well. And we need to see everyone in that light. So as we are walking, I am concerned when another believer is not walking with God. I am concerned when I'm not exercising my gifts because I am hurting the body but my inactivity, and I'm hurting myself. We need to close in prayer. Let's close here. <clears throat> Our Father in God, you drilled into your disciples over and over again. We hope to finish with that next week. How that, if we don't abide in you, we can't produce fruit. For without you, we can do nothing. We can't have salvation. We can't produce fruit. And really, it's not us producing it. It's you producing it through us. We are simply to abide and to let your word abide in us. Salvation is Christ abiding in us and us abiding in him. But walking the Christian faith is not by the power of the flesh. It's by the power of God working through us. And I pray that you'd help every professing believer here this week to continue to remain in Christ, abide in Him, rest in Him, but, Father, to have the Word of God coming in and to actively pursue our growth by obeying the commands that you give us in Scripture. For that, too, is abiding in Christ. Thank you for this time. Pray your blessing on the remainder of the day. In Christ's name, amen.